This is Policy on Purpose, a podcast produced by the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. We take you behind the scenes of policy with the people who help shape it. For more, visit lbj.utexas.edu. Hello, my name is Angela Evans, and I'm the dean of the LBJ School, and I'm really pleased that we're back with another podcast. And this time, I'm especially pleased because it's an old buddy, friend, and a wonderful colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Don Kettle, who has joined the LBJ School. I'm so, so pleased to have you here. It's like a dream come true uh, in a lot of ways. For me as well. I'm just thrilled to have a chance to be able to not only work with you, but with the entire team here at the LBJ School. It's just an outstanding group of faculty working on cutting-edge issues, so there's nothing thing I could wish for would be better than that. Well, thank you, Don, and and on behalf of uh, the school as well. So we're really pleased. And the reason why we're so excited is right now the school uh, is thinking about its 50th anniversary in two years. And when you think about an anniversary, it's a celebration, but it's also a retrospective, like what have we done, what have we accomplished, and what's really coming up in the future. So this is a very big year for us. And as we've talked as colleagues over the years of how do you take what's knowledge that is created in the university, created around in in the private sector, and move it uh, so that public policymakers, whether they're people in the state, local, or federal government, uh, actually can use that information and use that data and use that experience. How do we do that? And what's the purpose of our public policy schools? What role do they play? So we're at a very pivotal point in our history. That's why I'm so excited that you're at the school to help us think this thing through. So what I'd like you to do just a little bit to talk to our listeners about where you see public policy schools in terms of their future role in in policy development and policy leadership. Because one of the things that I find fascinating now is that what really makes public policy distinctive is that it, in fact, as you just mentioned, it it is engaged with real-world problems. It's not simply just an effort to develop abstract principles or bits of knowledge that are really useful between pages of books. It's useful only in a way in which it could actually improve the lives of citizens. And that's one of the things that really makes public policy distinctive. And one of the things that I find fascinating in talking to lots and lots and lots of practitioners, the people out there making policy, trying to deliver policy, trying to work with citizens, is that we're at a point now where some of these problems have never been more important, where mistakes that we make could ripple through society almost instantaneously, and where people who are out there trying to solve these problems are just starved for intellectual capital, for people who can help them think through these issues, find new solutions, but especially find a new generation of leaders who can come in and try to work with them to try to help attack these things. So the paradox probably is that the more complex these problems have gotten, the harder it is for them to solve, the more wicked the problems are, uh, the better our position is in trying to help them do this, and the more we and our students are needed. And so that's what makes this such an important, such a special time, and what creates an opportunity for real insights about how to do this better. Yes. I think one of our challenges, we talked about this earlier, is that we're preparing students, and we have to prepare them for the future and some things that we aren't even aware would happen. So it's almost the unknown. How do we prepare students to have that basic skill set, that basic intellectual approach, that basic curiosity, um, that basic uh, idea of how to take reveal problems and how to then take those problems that are complex and parse them in a way that you don't lose the richness of that problem, but at the same time you make it more of a problem that you can attack. So we talked a little bit about that. And 
talk to you know talk to the listeners about some of your ideas of how we try to move in that direction. Too often, what worries me is that we end up trying to drive down the highway at eighty miles an hour, but steering by looking in the rearview mirror, and we can't very well make sure we negotiate these curves. If we're just looking backwards, we've got to ground what it is that we know and, in fact, even the problems we try to solve by making sure that we understand what's happening. But more importantly, probably, making sure that we create students and a body of knowledge that is capable of trying to attack issues that either are unpredictable in some ways or may not even exist. I think in many ways, our biggest problem, our biggest challenge is the fact that probably at least half of our students five to 10 years from now are going to be working on problems that haven't even been invented yet. Mm -hmm. So how do we try to make sure that we can do for society what it is that our students are going to be able to do for all the rest of us? So how to do that? I think part of it is to expose students to cutting-edge problems, to, to essentially throw them out of the swimming pool, but teach them how to swim along the way, getting them confidence so they can, in fact, swim and make it to the other side, giving the kind of experience so they say, you know, I've... I haven't quite seen this before, but I've got confidence that I can handle it. I know how to work with people and learn quickly to be able to catch up with problems. Uh, we can teach them in some ways, oh, no, I've seen this before, maybe not quite in this forum, but it's something that, in fact, I, I recognize. There's a body of knowledge where some problems have been around for maybe 2,000 years or so, and if they, they keep coming back, the odds are they're going to keep recurring over and over again. And there's some bits of theory, too, on top of that that also provide a kind of framework for helping students understand what really is new and what isn't and what it is that we can learn from the past and how to adapt to those new things. And that provides a kind of framework that allows students to attack these problems, to solve them, to understand what's new, what isn't, what they can contribute, where they need help. And with that kind of experience in the long run, really make the, the kind of things better for everybody. Because what really makes public policy distinctive is not only trying to work with these issues that ripple across society, but to do it in a way that recognizes that it's the public interest that's the core of all this. It's, it's not just a mechanistic effort. It's, it's not just a way to try to, to maximize utility in different kinds of models, but it's to try to solve the things in a way that allow us, allow our students to do so in a way that really serves the public more broadly. And that's what makes the, the public and public policy so important. Yes, and we were talking about some of the challenges there because people, the perception is that we become uh, much more divided, uh, that we don't want to listen to people who have a difference of opinion than we do, or that people have opinion that is not based on fact. So one of the challenges we face and one of the things that are absolutely critical to providing a really solid background to the students who leave here is to understand that that's not what they are. We don't care about their opinions. Uh, what we want to do is make sure they understand how to formulate really sound information around something that they're tackling and they understand all sides to this. And so it seems that one of the one of the big challenges we have is sometimes our students come in and we have to, um, with a certain set of learning and a certain set of biases and perceptions, we have to break those down before we build up um, some of these other things. So I see this as a little different time in our history, at least for this generation, that's coming in without a, a background or having experiences where educative kinds of experiences 
were more important than evocative kinds of experiences. So can you talk a little bit about how we're going to try to meet those challenges here? Sure. And that's, and that's so important because there there was a time, maybe not so long ago, where the idea is you come in and we will give you the, the 10 rules, the five principles, the three tools that you can then take out with you in the job, and that will give you what you need. But given the fact that so many problems now are so wicked and they're so unpredictable and that the issues and the problems and the solutions are so interconnected, the real challenge is that it's very hard to say, here are the 10 rules to follow and open up the textbook. It's on page 47. Mm-hmm. Go from there. Uh, so the problem is that you can't do that. So, so how do you get at that? And it turns out, on the other hand, given the fact that there's often so much conflict and so much concern about fake news, so much concern about divisions in society, a way to try to get at this and the way that helps students is, okay, let's step back. What is the problem that we need to solve? Is there anybody here in the room opposed to having safe drinking water when you turn on the tap in the morning? Right. Is there anybody who wants to make sure that the air traffic control system does not work? Anybody who is uh, going over the age of 65 and going to the hospital and is not going to get high quality health care and is not going to have your, your bills paid. Anybody opposed to any of those kind of problems? Well, if you start with problems that we all recognize, yeah. problems that we agree have to be solved, one of the ways to try to break down the political barriers and to develop strategies that work is to understand the problems and then build coalitions to try to solve them and then bring in the tools, the understandings, the pieces that in fact do that, again, with a frame that focuses on solutions for the public interest and all that. So what really makes this style of education distinctive is making it problem-based, problem-centered, solution-driven, but doing it in a way that says we can provide a broader framework so that Every time a student encounters one of those problems, it's not from scratch from the very first time. Because we just don't have time to wait for people to learn from scratch every time. Yes. Yeah. The other thing we've talked about, too, is when you're working on a problem and you agree this is a problem, uh, you're going to g- disagree on how you're going to solve the problem. But one thing that, you know, it's very important for us who are in policy education is to help our students understand, even if you disagree on 99 percent of what you you stand for or what you're trying to do. If you can find that 1% where you can work together, that 1% then opens the door to others because it helps you work together, understand each other, understand the pressures that are on uh, people who have a different perspective than you do. Um, that's really important. So there's two things. One is that. And the other thing is getting out of the building, getting out of the educational cocoon and going out into the community and talking to people and meeting people and understanding people that you think you're trying to help. Um, and that's another thing we're talking about in terms of a different direction for us is, is focusing more on those slivers where, where we can form coalitions and help those broaden out once you work together. And the other is really getting out on the street and where the rubber hits the road and finding people uh, that are and walking in their shoes. Um, so talk a little bit about that, yeah. Don, in terms of how we've discussed right. that. And, and both those things are important. The first is if it's problem-driven, then it's a way to try to say, okay, we can build a consensus that there are things that are important that we need to get done. So how do we do that? And it turns out that there's an underlying paradox of leadership here, which is that individual leaders have never been more important the more complex the problems become. And the way to try to get at that and learn how to do that is to go out and talk with the people who are involved in trying to do this. And that means being able to discuss issues with people and understand how you can find common ground. It's developing trust in each other's relationships. But just as importantly, it's going out and actually touching the problems that you're trying to solve, be able to 
to connect with the people who you're trying to serve. Uh, it's one thing to talk about a problem of homelessness from 50,000 feet and just looking down and saying, well, here's what I think ought to be done because here's what my models say, as opposed to here it is about what's really going on with the people who are on the streets. Here are the issues that they have to try to solve by talking to them, understanding their problems, understanding what it is that they want, what is it's going to help them. Then you're most in a position to be able to develop solutions that are most likely to work. And given the fact you've got problems that you want to try to solve mm -hmm. and you've got issues that, in fact, you want to try to build a coalition for support, the more that you can understand how what you design is going to affect the people who deserve and need the help that you're trying to provide, then you're going to be much more effective. If you look at the opioid crisis, for example, everybody's talking about we need to do something about this. And people are throwing solutions around all over the place. To what degree have we gone out and really connected with the people who are struggling with the problems of opioid abuse, figuring out why it is that it happens and why it happens more in some places than others? We have the opportunity here with a problem that we all agree has to be solved, that we want to try to solve, to be able to solve it better if we can devise systems that connect better with the people who are struggling to try to escape the, the curse of opioid addiction. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we can do, I think, is to help frame the problems provide students with a chance to how to think about it, a framework about the public interest to drive them, but then get them out of the building, talk to the people who are doing it, talk to the people trying to solve it, talk to the people who are partners, and talk to the people who ultimately are the ones we most need to serve, and find a way to connect a network that, in fact, links it all. And by doing that, that, in the end, is what's going to be most effective. And that's this, part of, this paradox of individual leadership. The more complex these problems are, the more important it is to train students with the skills of leadership that can connect all the pieces together. Yeah, that's really, I think that's critical. And the other thing I think is critical about what you said is that when you, you have to understand the complexity, but we have to also help our students, once they understand that, to make it simple, not simple in a sense of a simple solution, but make it understandable and make it doable. Because sometimes things can appear so complex that people say, throw up their hands, oh my gosh, this involves everybody, there's no way I can do this, I'm just uh, I'm just a nonprofit who sits here and does this. Um, and I think that's another important thing that we need to be doing as educators is having our students be comfortable with complexity and you know, actually thrive in complexity and go to it and say, this is complex, I want in. And understanding how that can't overwhelm you, but how it can inform you. And I think that's how our public uh, policy education needs to evolve, to make sure we have a lot of those kinds of experiences for our students. Um, so that's, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, Don, if we were to talk about what you think are, you really worry about, uh, in terms of um, our policy education, what what do you worry about in terms of our that we might fail at that we have an opportunity we're not taking that we're you know we're too lazy or you know what 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 is what are some of the things that worry you? Yeah, and there's stuff that that worries me. I'm, this is all in the context of the fact that I'm really excited about the opportunities because I think we can be smart enough to solve some problems. But the problems are. First, it's, it's really easy to look to the future on the one hand by trying to worry about only steering to the past. And if we don't find a way to keep ourselves in the cutting edge, we can be really good at solving last year's problems and miss the ability to be able to get on top of this one. There are some things that I think in terms of skills that students need to learn more of that we need to figure out how to do better. One of them is good people management. One of the paradoxes is that as we mentioned, the more complex 
problems get, the more important individual leaders are. We don't spend nearly enough time trying to get the right people with the right skills and the right jobs. I talked to a friend of mine who used to run a, a major private company, and he said, if you're not spending at least 50% of your time managing people, figuring out how to get your people motivated to do the job, you're going to fail in the private sector. This is a lesson we ought to learn from the private yes. sector. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing the government ought to do better. And then you were talking about this process of trying to understand complexity. And I think there are ways that we can find out of complexity a way to try to boil stories down, boil data down in a way that make clear, simple, convincing strategies for enlisting people in the cause to get the problem solved. And we too often, I think, find as we have data that are more complex, we have data analysis that is equally complex and sometimes impenetrable from people from the outside. The reality is that people in the policy world, especially policymakers, live off stories. Narratives, and yes. live off narratives. Mm -hmm. And the question is, what's the story here? Mm -hmm. Why should I solve a problem? How can I solve it? What's the story? And it doesn't mean being sloppy or loose yes. or in some ways inexact, but it means in some ways being more careful, more precise and more able to be able to take the core problems and ideas and boil them down in a way that's even more persuasive because the more noisy the environment is and the more information there is, the more people are saying, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And what insight can I have that will give me the way to be able to, to, to cut through all of what's going on so that I can get something that in fact will help me to, to, to drive toward a solution. And so there's a way to try to take complex data and to reduce it to stories that are persuasive. It's being able to understand what's hiding underneath to be able to unpack it, to be able to understand the real meaning of things. And it's being able to, to lead by creating a vision for people about the direction in which we need to go and why. And so there are things that- Small charge, right? Small charge. <laughs> but it's one of the things yeah. when I'm struck by is there are people who do it. And the people do it well. Mm -hmm. And the people who do it well are the leaders who make a difference. Yeah. And I'm convinced our students can learn how to do that. And there are things we can do, but it involves not lecturing them, but giving them experience, exposing them to a wide range of things, uh, teaching them how to absorb some, some bruises and bumps along the way so they can be resilient and bounce back. But with all that can bring a, a kind of crystal clear vision about where it is that they want to go. Because one of the things that I'm struck by with this generation of students in particular, is that they want to make a difference. Yes. And so one of the things we can do is help them to try to figure out exactly how that works. Yeah, the raw material and the passion is there. It's how we give them the tools. And the other thing is how we put them in front of people who've been exempl uh, exemplars of this type of uh, mm -hmm. leadership. And oftentimes, they're behind the scenes. They're not the people that are in the spotlight, that are on the news, that have you know microphones pushed in their faces. Those are people who... They saw a situation, they got called on, and their leadership just blossomed, and they were able to take care of things. And those are things, too, I think, when we're talking about public policy education is exposing students to those kinds of people. Not that they say, we want you to be exactly like him or her, but look what they that person did in a particular situation. They were ready, and they, they stepped in. So those are other things that I would like us to, you know, do more in our policy education is bringing people in to talk about their experiences and how our students can learn from what they learned, their mistakes, things that they were successful on, how they saw a problem, how they parsed that problem. That's going to be a very important part of our 
program of how we bring the right kind of people in at the right time with the right problems. Right. And the the advantage here is that it tells students, wait a minute, I want to make a difference, but I don't have to be uh, elected to the highest office in the land yes. to be able to do that. Yes. There are amazing people out there doing amazing things. Uh, it's possible to do amazing things, so don't need to be cynical. I can be like those amazing people because I can imagine myself sitting in that chair doing that. For me to be able to do that, I can learn from them about what it is that those people did well yes. and what people maybe not so much did well. Yes. And it's I can learn how to try to prepare myself to be able to assume that kind of job because I know it's important and doable, and I can imagine myself doing it. And one of the things that we can very usefully do is to connect students with people who have already figured out how to do that, at least most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so our students can learn how to do it faster how they can do it better, how they can do it with fewer mistakes. Because one of the things that is the reality of a world that's moving so fast is that it's not very patient with the government that doesn't keep up. And so we can help our students learn how to lace on their track shoes and be able to keep up with the world that they're trying to help. Yes. And I think you you mentioned something that's really important, and that's failure. You know, people... Um, that seems like a bad word, you know, like, oh, it's terrible, you failed. But it isn't. A failure is, it's an action. It's a result of an action. So we have to help our students understand that they will fail. There will be failures. But how do you learn from those? And if you don't try, you're not going to fail. It's like, um, you know, that's how erasers are on pencils. I'm dating myself. But, you know, if you're writing, you have an eraser because you've actually taken the step to write. And so that's the other thing is making them comfortable because so much is expected of um, the students that come that they have to be like all knowledgeable, perfect. They have to have the right solution. They know everything. And it's like, no, you don't, number one. Number two, so take a chill pill. Number two, be a little bit humble. And number three, we're going to put you in situations where you don't succeed so that you know you can survive and learn from that. That's a really important part of providing a policy education for our students. And there are some really interesting things that can be done, not only to figure out how to learn, which is based on the premise that you got to learn because you don't know it all. Yes. None of us do. None of us get it right all the time. We all make mistakes. It's not avoiding the mistakes, but it's anticipating what mistakes you most need to try to avoid. Yes. So that's one thing we can do. What what kinds of things have we drifted into in the past that we said, you know, if we had thought about that a little bit more, we could have avoided the risk of exposing kids in Flint, Michigan to lead in the drinking water. We exactly. could have thought about that. Yeah. And we could have understood how to try to avoid that kind of a problem. So there's a part of that we can teach our students about. There's when problems come come up, how can we try to bounce back more quickly? So it's which problems are the most important ones to, to avoid? When problems come up, how can we try to learn most quickly? How can we make sure we don't repeat them? And how can we speed up the process of keeping up with a fast-changing future? Uh, I'm and this is where exposing ourselves to people and our students to people who struggled with these issues. So yes. There's a, a fascinating story about the Coast Guard that evolved from the problem of the Exxon Valdez, which was in Alaska, an enormous oil spill, which showed just how unprepared the Coast Guard was for the challenges and the problems of a major crisis that in the end, because of what amounted to a failure there, led to an enormous success as the Coast Guard led the effort to try to help New Orleans recover from Hurricane Katrina. Yes. So it turns out that not only can you do your best to try to avoid problems, 
problems. But if you're really smart, you can figure out how to learn so that when the next problem comes, you're even better prepared and can help people learn even more quickly. Right, and you get down to the fundamentals. You know, you don't get caught up in the details. You think about what were the es- what was the essence of this problem? What were the essence essence of the processes? Essence of communication among those that were uh, involved, and then take that and transfer that. So every experience doesn't have to be a brand new experience. You start having that sort of muscle memory of uh, making mistakes and how that worked, so that when it's time, you have enough you have enough strength and in in convictions in your own knowledge and expertise to be able to step up and try. You know, just step up and get in there. That's really where. Um, it's really important that our students feel that way. And one of the things that's, that's fascinating is that uh, there are new problems that pop up all the time. But if you stop and think carefully, many problems that seem new at least have hints and, and reflections of things in the before. Past, yes. And what that tells us is if the problems have been going on for a long time, I can understand that. I understand why it's a problem, what's worked in the past, what hasn't. It gives me some instinct, so I'm not starting from scratch. Exactly. There's some bits of theory that tell us about what kinds of strategies and approaches are more likely to work and which ones won't. That tells us what it is that we need to know. It tells us if we're going to try to reorganize an agency, work in the federal government, you probably ought to look at which congressional committees have jurisdictions because you can plot the battle lines that will be joined. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we've seen that in the past. And you better so, understand that reorganization isn't always the first choice, right? And so you know that sometimes yeah. when we reorganize, it hasn't always worked. Yes. So by understanding history, by understanding theory, it helps provide a structure for walking into new things that you've never seen before and not starting from scratch. But then by learning what it is that works, it gives you a way for those of us who are scholars to improve on theory, to improve on history, to improve on our education, and to make the next set of problems we have to try to face and deal with problems that we can solve that much more quickly. Well, this is like, this is why I'm so excited, everybody who's listening to this podcast. I mean, having this dialogue uh, with such substance and passion and drive and commitment really makes me feel really great about where public policy schools are going in the future and how our school can help continue this dialogue. And I'm so pleased, Don, that you're going to be joining us and be one of us to help lead us through this really important time, very important time in our history as public policy schools. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, I am thrilled with this. And I will tell you, one can look at all the, the battles over fake news and what can we possibly know about anything. And look at the, the battles and concerns that we're, we're tearing ourselves apart on important issues, all which are real and important problems. But at the bottom of all this, what I'm really excited about is that there are big problems that we know we need to solve. And I see people every day who are doing a pretty good job solving <laughs> them. We've got students who want to be able to step into their shoes and be able to do it. And I have confidence that we can help them do it better. And if we do, we'll all be better off. And there's probably no more noble mission that those of us in higher education and in public policy could want, which is why I'm so thrilled to have a chance to be able to join everybody here at the LBJ School to take part in that. Oh, thank you so much, John. We really appreciate it. And thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to Policy and Purpose on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Thanks again. Bye-bye. This is Policy on Purpose, a podcast produced by the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. We take you behind the scenes of policy with the people who help shape it. To learn more, visit lbj.utexas.edu and follow us on Twitter or Facebook at the LBJ School. Thank you for listening.